Hi everyone, Dr. Celine Gounder here. I'm the host of In Sickness and In Health. I have an exciting announcement. We've decided to launch a membership program for the show where you'll have the chance to support us directly. We love creating the show and it means the world to us that you all tune in, but it takes an immense amount of time and energy to produce. We wanna keep this going and we wanna invest in its growth. And we want you to be a partner with us in this journey. Join us at glow.fm slash in sickness and in health. That's G-L-O-W dot F-M slash in sickness and in health. Thanks for listening. Now here's the show. In the U.S., there's a lot of people using guns that actually say it's for my self-protection. In Switzerland, that's absolutely not a reason to uh, own a firearm. After this massacre to create a registration of weapons. This all will help, but of course, it will much more help if there's no gun at all at home. Welcome back to In Sickness and In Health, a podcast about health and social justice. I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. This season, we're looking at gun violence in America. Switzerland, the land of chocolate, neutrality, yodeling, and guns. Lots of guns. Switzerland has one of the highest gun ownership rates in the world. The United States is the only other developed country in the world with more guns per capita than Switzerland. Yes, Switzerland is a bit of a special case in Europe since we do have quite a high rate of gun ownership. Yet Switzerland also has one of the lowest crime and gun homicide rates in the world. Considering all this, it's no wonder American gun rights advocates love Switzerland. It's an example of a country where high gun ownership can coexist with low crime rates. But in this final episode on mental health and guns, we're going to take a deeper look at the Swiss story. We're going to see how a country with a strong tradition of gun ownership can still find ways to combat gun violence. Like gun-related suicides. The idea was not really to do some kind of suicide prevention, more to modernize the army. And have a gun registry. Revolvers or um, pistols, you need to have a license in order to um, get such a gun. Safe storage laws and a response to mass shootings. This fact is very important for the discussion we have now in Switzerland about reducing the magazine. In this episode of In Sickness and In Health, what Switzerland can teach us about guns. So what is the gun culture in Switzerland? It has a lot to do with the military, the famous Swiss Army. Switzerland has compulsory military service. It's a militia system where everyone is expected to serve. They've got a small number of professional soldiers. The rest of their armed forces are conscripts that rotate through tours of duty. Historically, this meant that all able-bodied Swiss men between the ages of 18 and 43 had to serve in the militia. 
Swiss soldiers are issued a personal service rifle. They're expected to keep it at home. They have regular drills. And when soldiers complete their service, they have the option to buy their service rifle from the government. As a result, roughly a third of all Swiss households have a gun. Switzerland also has relatively lax gun laws for people not in the military. They have a strong tradition of sports shooting and hunting. But over the last 20 years, Switzerland has started to make some big changes to how soldiers are allowed to keep their guns at home and how privately owned guns are viewed. In 2001, a gunman walked into the parliament building in the Swiss city of Zug and opened fire. La folie meurtrière à Zug en Suisse, un homme équipé d'un fusil d'assaut a fait irruption dans le parlement local, 15 morts au total, rien à voir avec le terrorisme, il s'agit apparemment d'un désespéré. There were about 90 people in the room. Journalists, bystanders and members of the canton's parliament, including Joseph Lang. And at more or less 10 and a half in the morning, we heard the killing first outside the room we were sitting, and then the killer entered the parliamentary room. The gunman used a shotgun to kill his first victim. When the shotgun jammed, he started to fire his Swiss Army-issued assault rifle. He began to shoot on us. That lasted two and a half minutes, but evidently for us it was an eternity. Joseph ducked for cover under a desk. He was so close to the gunman that at one point, bullet shells rained on his head. The gunman even set off a hand grenade before police arrived. How did you manage to escape being shot and wounded? Well, <laughs> there were no logic if you were killed or not. How do you call it in English? Uh, luck? Luck, yes, 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 mm, luck. I had luck. If the police had come 30 seconds later, I'm not sure if I could speak now with you. Fourteen people were killed before the gunman turned the gun on himself. Another 18 were injured. It remains the deadliest attack of its kind in Switzerland. This massacre was a big shock in Switzerland. Switzerland has relatively lax gun laws, yet the law requires people to register their weapons when they buy them at a gun store. They also need a permit, but as long as you don't have a criminal record, you can usually get a gun. The shooter had a history of threatening public workers in Zug. The shooter was also able to buy several guns in different cantons, including a shotgun. This man had bought all his weapons legally. And he had bought it in different cantons, and these different cantons didn't know that he had bought weapons also in another canton. So the Swiss changed their laws. One of the results of the Zug massacre was the creation of a national gun registry. Today, the police would inform automatically all the Swiss cantons that this man has bought this weapon. And this man has bought weapons in other three, four cantons. 
there is something going on, something strange is going on. That would have been the reaction of the canton of Zug 10 days before the, the massacre. They would have found all these weapons at his home. And so the police would have avoided uh, these 14 killings. The creation of such a registry seems impossible here in the United States, but the Swiss did it, and they still have their guns. Not long after the Zug massacre, there was another big change in Switzerland. But to understand that, we first need to jump back to 1989. I'm also, I didn't mention before, member of, of the pacifist movement in Switzerland. Back then, pacifists like Joseph were pushing an idea that might sound crazy, a referendum to abolish the army. Oh, I'm still in the leadership of that movement. Joseph didn't think their chances were all that great. We knew that we will lose, but we made a result of 36% of yes. That was a big sensation. And after all, more than 70% of the soldiers voted for the abolition of the army. And this fact had a big impact on army reforms. The referendum failed. But it was also a wake-up call. The Cold War was over. People's attitudes were changing about maintaining such a big standing army for such a small country. So the Swiss armed forces started to reorganize. Switzerland introduced civil service as an option for people who didn't want to serve in the military. And the armed forces started to get smaller. A lot smaller. Switzerland went from about 400,000 soldiers in 2003 to about 200,000 in 2004. They cut their armed forces in half. And that created an interesting opportunity to study, of all things, suicide. My name is Thomas Reich. I'm a um, medical head of a psychiatric inpatient unit. And um, I'm doing a lot of research on suicide and suicide prevention. See, Switzerland has a gun-involved suicide rate that is almost three times higher than the rest of Europe. Most of the guns used in these suicides were soldiers' military-issued rifles. First of all, it's a real lethal method. So there is no way back. If you pull the trigger, it's over. So with the Swiss military cutting its ranks so dramatically so quickly, it also meant there were a lot fewer people bringing guns home. They didn't have the intention to do it like an intervention, but it was the possibility to test whether after this army reform you find less suicide by shooting. And um, because of this abrupt change, you can easily measure it. For a researcher like Thomas, this policy change was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It was the closest thing to a national randomized controlled trial on firearms and suicide. And we were able to show first that uh, there was a total decrease in suicide numbers, which was mostly related to a reduction of suicide by shooting. So where was the biggest drop in suicides? People between the ages of 18 and 43. The same group that would have been serving in the military before the 2003 reforms. And all the other age groups, so older men, women, um, you didn't see any change at all. 
so it seemed quite clear or it seems quite clear that this reduction of suicide by shooting and the reduction of the total number of suicides are really related to this army reform. Now, many gun rights groups will say that if someone is intent on suicide, they will find the means. And if they don't have access to a firearm, they'll just turn to other means. What does your research show on this point? And was there a substitution effect? 22% used another method, but 78% didn't use any other methods. So, in fact, when somebody says, well, they will use another method, substitution effect, this is true for 22%, but not for 78%. And so it's quite clear this uh, reform is saving a lot of lives. Starting in 2007, Swiss soldiers faced new restrictions on where they could store their weapons. Military weapons could stay in the home, but not the ammo. This is in part because of a particular kind of crime that was happening in Switzerland. One of the highest profile cases of its kind involved a famous Swiss skier. Corinne Raybelais, a place on the podium. Corinne Raybelais. Corinne was a champion skier, and in 2006, she separated from her husband. Soon after that, Corinne's husband went to her parents' chalet and killed both Corinne and her brother. Corinne was three months pregnant. Corinne's husband used his military-issued gun to commit the murders. Then he killed himself. This kind of family murder-suicide is the most common form of homicide in Switzerland. So everything uh, that relates uh, to domestic disputes, uh, intimate partner homicides, but also homicides within the family. But if you just look at domestic homicide as a total category, within that, uh, the intimate partner homicides are the most prevalent type that we have. This is Nora Markwalder. I'm assistant professor at the University of St. Gallen for criminal law and criminology. This kind of crime is called family drama in Switzerland. In the U.S., it's known as family annihilation. It's mostly male offenders that kill parts or uh, even their entire family. This is quite regularly happening uh, still in Switzerland. You have a, a family man uh, that shoots a wife or a children or both and then uh, commits uh, suicide. It's important to note that Switzerland has one of the lowest homicide rates in the world. It's low even compared to other European countries. Switzerland also has a very low crime rate and a very low rate of intimate partner violence. But it has a relatively high rate of intimate partner homicide. And often those homicides have been committed with military-issued weapons. The uh, gun ownership rate uh, is, is, is correlated to a high amount of, of female uh, homicides within the family. And also uh, homicides followed by uh, suicide. 
we do have much more uh, family homicides as a share of the total number of homicides than has the U.S., but also other countries like uh, Finland or Canada or the Netherlands. So this is a quite interesting factor. We do have a very low rate uh, of homicide in total, but the share of family homicides is quite high in Switzerland. The killing of Corinne Ray Belay shocked the country. So in 2007, the Swiss government banned soldiers from keeping ammunition at home. Today, Swiss militia members are required to follow many of the safe storage rules we've talked about in previous episodes. Don't keep the gun loaded in the home. Ammunition should be stored away from the weapon. And the gun should be someplace where kids can't get to it. Nora thinks that the best way to stop these family annihilations is to keep all the weapons in arsenals. But there's a trade-off. Well, this is always an old um, discussion in Switzerland. This is a question of priorities, I would say. What I know is that less and less um, military personnel want to have the weapon at home, and they have a possibility to store it in an arsenal. And also uh, less and less uh, soldiers want to purchase uh, the, the weapon after uh, their active duty. So uh, there we do already have a decline uh, in these rates. But uh, finally, it's it's a decision to choose from whether you want to take the risk of having these uh, homicides uh, within the home for uh, military tactics uh, reasons or whether you want to say, no, we will keep them in arsenals and make it uh, less uh, attractive to have them at home. One of the reasons why this kind of homicide happens in the home is because, well, that's the only place you can keep a gun in Switzerland. You're not allowed to carry guns with you um, only I mean, if you're a military personnel and you have to carry it from your home uh, to your uh, military base, of course. But uh, for uh, every other situation, you're not allowed to carry a gun. In the U.S., for example, handguns are the most lethal firearm. They're small, easy to carry, and deadly. But Switzerland doesn't allow concealed carry. So many situations that might turn deadly in the U.S., Road rage, a bar fight, just don't happen in Switzerland. The gun is not readily available. Um, there, uh, these uh, types of offenses are obviously uh, less likely to be committed by firearms. This also gets to the heart of how Swiss gun culture is different from ours in the U.S. of A. Gun ownership in the U.S. these days is often framed in terms of self-defense. But self-defense is not the reason to have a gun in Switzerland. Self-defense is also uh, a bit uh, generally accepted um, in, in the U.S. also in regard um, to the use uh, of deadly force. Uh, you have uh, different doctrines like uh, my home is my castle and stand my ground. These do not apply in Switzerland. Self-defense is not a Swiss concept. Joseph Lang. In Switzerland, ownership of arm is historically linked to the defense of the community of the country, not to defend your private interests or your family or your person. That is the big difference to the United States. But Joseph says this might be changing. He calls it the Americanization of Swiss gun culture. As fewer and fewer Swiss people sign up for military service, more and more are buying guns for self-protection. More and more and more civilians 
buy weapons. The number of weapon buying has tripled in the last 10 years. And more and more people who buy weapons say, I buy it to defend myself against strange people, against refugee dangerous refugees, or against criminals. Switzerland is already a very safe country. Like many countries, including the U.S., it's seen a drop in crime since the 1990s. But people think crime is getting worse, even when the statistics show otherwise. I asked everyone I interviewed for this episode the same question. Why is Switzerland so popular with gun rights activists in the U.S.? Well, they use it because in Switzerland you have also a lot of weapons. And I think they want to create the impression that the number of weapons is not linked to the number of killed people. Hmm? That's not totally wrong, but not totally right. Well, because they see a country with quite a liberal uh, weapon law and with a low uh, um, amount of homicides. Uh, So therefore, um, uh, they jump to the conclusion uh, that you can have uh, low homicides and high uh, gun ownership and that they somewhat are not related. I think a lot of people love the idea that it's part of the culture to have a weapon and it's easy to say, well, others have it too, so we can do it as well. I think this is a very easy form of argumentation. I think there's another way to look at the Swiss and guns. Switzerland shows that there's a way to have a vibrant gun culture, but also have gun training, background checks, and when necessary, a way to change the laws to save lives. If someone you know is in crisis or thinking of hurting themselves, do not leave them alone. Remove any firearms, alcohol, drugs, or sharp objects that could be used in a suicide attempt. Take them to an emergency room or seek help from a medical or mental health professional. Call the U.S. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255. Or text the crisis text line at 741-741. Another resource for LGBTQ youth is the Trevor Project's Lifeline at 866-488-7386. In Sickness and in Health is brought to you by Just Human Productions. Today's episode was produced by Zach Dyer and me. Our theme music is by Alan Vest. Additional music by The Blue Dot Sessions. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend about it today. And if you haven't already done so, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find out about the show. You can learn more about this podcast and how to engage with us on social media at insicknessandinhealthpodcast.com. That's insicknessandinhealthpodcast.com. I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. This is In Sickness and in Health.